Hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I am your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... Peter Wesley Salmon. Oh, a little slow on the uptake there. Well, I had it on mute. I didn't want to disrupt you, so it took me a bit to, to get that off. But yeah, Peter Salmon, here, <laughs> ready for a review. <laughs> excellent excellent so we'll keep uh keep that finger hovering over the mute button so that uh, <laughs> this never happens again anyway and credits is a local movie show for local movie fans we are here every wednesday at 3 p.m to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies which this week will be the new indie crime thriller windfall and you can watch that now on the netflix before that we are going to have someone else step into the limelight for a minute another film director uh, his name is Ali Akbar Akbar Kamal and he made a film called God Forsaken which is a found footage religious horror movie and it was shot just up the road in Harriston in the township of Minto which is in Wellington County which is that big rural area that surrounds Guelph if uh Maybe you never go beyond the borders of Guelph. <laughs> or you're like, where? what is all this farm field between Guelph and Milton? Well, now you know it's Wellington County. Um, so <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that anyway. Uh, so I got the chance to interview uh, Ali Akbar, Akbar Kamal. And uh, because Godforsaken is being released on VOD in a couple of weeks, on April 8th to be precise. So... I talked to Ali about the directorial experience and making a horror movie in the township of Minto and uh, his pivot to moving out east and doing stunt work now. So uh, he's a very interesting, interesting young up and coming filmmaker with a lot of fingers and a lot of pies, which is how you got to make a name for yourself in the film business these days. But I'm going to throw it to uh, the interview that we did with Ali Akbar Akbar Kamal, starting right now. Back in my hometown, not under the greatest circumstances. What's going on? Chris, Chris, what happened? There it is, guys. That's where the zombie of Harrison lives? We gotta find out what happened. So Ali Akbar, Akbar Kamal, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, no problem. Thank, thank you for having me. So let's talk about God Forsaken, uh, which, you know, my own limited filmmaking experience almost sounds like you're describing the experience too, but that's also the name of the movie. Um, can you talk a little about, um, maybe even before getting into the movie, talk about, about yourself and, um, you know, how you... I ended up making this your first feature and uh, you know, your desire to get into filmmaking, you know, tell us about you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I wanted to make films like uh, ever since I was a little child, um, <clears throat> when I used to live in Pakistan as a kid, um, uh, there wasn't much to do outside and it was kind of dangerous where we lived. So uh, I would spend a lot of time in front of TV. So um, yeah, just a, uh, I love making movies, the same reason why a lot of people do it. They just uh, grew up watching it, and uh, yeah. When did you immigrate to uh, Canada, if you don't mind my asking? Yeah, of course. Um, 
I was in Pakistan from when I was like one year to six years, and then okay. we went to Uzbekistan. Okay. We were there for eight years, and then I came, came to Canada in 2006, April. So yeah, so about um, 16 years, I believe. Mm-hmm. My math is right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I know the film was shot in Harrison, um, but it is, is is that where you kind of uh, when you when you came to Canada, is that where you sort of settled? Um, I, I, I'm trying to figure out the Harrison connection. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no. I mean, uh, <laughs> when we came to Canada, we, you were kind of all over the place, but I was in Toronto for 10 years. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I just shot, a, um, I um, filmed, I was either a cameraman or an action choreographer for um, some other short films that um, a friend of mine, Chad, the actor of the movie, would uh, put together, and they would always take place in his hometown. Okay. And uh, it was just um, a very welcoming town, and uh, it was just, uh, yeah, it's worth everything would work out there. And um, originally, I wanted to make the movie in Afghanistan and Kabul. But uh, really? that, oh, yeah, I, I actually, um, this is my second feature. My first one is a okay. feature that I made it in 2016. But um, <laughs> yeah, I originally wanted to make this movie in Afghanistan. I thought it would be really nice there, but that deal fell through. So, um, and then, yeah, so I just decided to make it in Harrison because um, it, it just made financial sense, to be honest. <laughs> Uh, people often don't realize that decisions made in making movies uh, make financial sense, perhaps more than narrative sense sometimes. Yeah. Um, so the leading man uh, in your movie is a Harrison native is what I'm getting from. Uh, yes. Yeah. It's Chad Taylor. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's your script, your film. Uh, it's a horror film for people who don't know Godforsaken, although that may be inferred, but uh is is Harrison, you know, the township of Minto? Is it particularly scary there? Does it does that environment sort of yield itself to a horror movie? <laughs> um, I kind of think so. I feel like um, it, this might not make sense, but I feel like anything that uh, steers away from the modern mm. structure always kind of gives you that vibe of you know. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a small town, and uh, the town was nice. The people were nice, but uh, yeah. It, it a little bit. It was surrounded by woods, um, a lot of creepy basements. <laughs> I mean, we, we got our locations for kind of cheap because we would because um, we kind of knew the people. But it, uh, it was our luck that all of them just had creepy basements. OK, so, yeah, <laughs> uh, we'll file that piece of information away for any filmmakers that are listening. Uh, <laughs> Minto, home of the creepy basement. They may not appreciate that branding, but uh, can Talk about the movie itself, like with the, the story behind the movie, how you came up with it. Um, well, well, the story is kind of a religious horror and just being from Afghanistan, that's always kind of been a big part of my life. So the stories I, help, uh, I heard growing up, uh, mm. growing up. And um, the plot of the movie, somebody coming up, coming back to life at their own funeral. Um, it was just a story I heard as a child and uh, it really scared me. I feel like it was the first time I, I stayed up all night. And uh, yeah, it just kind of stayed with me and I always thought it would make a good movie. So yeah, just um, kind of combining the two and um, yeah. So it's a local legend from, from where you grew up. Um, not really. I just kind of heard it from a friend. Okay. Yeah. It was one of those <laughs> stories. Yeah. Ah, gotcha. It just stayed with me. <laughs> yeah. And, and people can go check out the trailer online. Um, but it, 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 you know, you really get a good sense of the the tone you're going for. Uh, th- that shot in the trailer of the people running out of the church and the because it's for people who don't know, it's found footage. 
So it's all kind of like first person point of view, but going in there and seeing the the coffin flipped over and seeing the hand come out from under the coffin. Uh, that's, that's a really good tease. So um, the idea of doing found footage is interesting too. Um, was that another one of these economic compromises we were talking about? <laughs> uh, yes. But um, actually I, I, um, I've been thinking of doing found footage for a few years because, again, it just makes financial sense. But I, um, the artist in me wouldn't let me, <laughs> except uh, it, until I saw a movie called Dabby, The Possession. It was a Turkish found footage horror film. Uh-huh. Once I saw that, I, um, <clears throat> uh, my, my biggest uh, uh, problem that used to be with uh, found footage is you, you don't get to be very creative with the camera. Mm-hmm. And just with the composition and all that... Um, once I saw that Turkish film, it, they did a few things with the camera that was very effective. And um, I know something just kind of uh, a bell just rang in my head. And I was like, hmm, maybe there is a way to be creative with the camera. But um, obviously, you'd have to think a bit outside the box and uh, you can't have dolly shots. But there are other things you can do if you know how a camera works, I guess. Mm-hmm. What was the name of that movie? Uh, Dabby, D-A-B-B-E. Okay. The, the possession. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. No, it's, it's just an odd uh, movie. Only the one one movie's found footage. The rest is not. So, it's yeah. a series. Yes. It's oh, okay. Movie. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, you said that you're not a uh, a fan of the the genre. Um, but I mean, as, aside from Dabby, you know, is what what kind of other found footage films did you look at for inspiration? If you looked at any, uh, the wreck. That's, ah. I'm, I'm actually quite the fan of the genre. I just, as a filmmaker, I thought I wanted to do more until I saw that you could do more. Mm-hmm. I, um, I just wasn't, um, I just wasn't good enough as an artist to actually appreciate the genre before, but that movie Dabby really opened my eyes is what I believe. But, um, another movie would be the Spanish movie wreck, which uh-huh. is yep. unbelievably amazing. And, um, um, obviously I enjoyed the par- paranormal series, but I would say wreck and Dabby are the two main Mm-hmm. for this mm-hmm. also religious horror I, I you talked about you know growing up in kind of a religious area you know is is that kind of a subgenre that gets you hooked as well the whole things about questioning faith and and you know that against the horror background and jump scares is is where any any particular film there an influence on you um um Maybe Dagon. I don't know if it's a very uh, independent-ish film. Not many people have heard of it. Yeah, but yeah. I, I seen it as a kid and I loved it. I loved the, I loved the atmosphere and I just yeah. Um, but yeah, like that would be another movie that uh, <laughs> inspired this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get back to this movie. Um, how was you know working with you know we we talked about the quality of basements in Harrison, but. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people, and again, people can go online, look at the trailer, and see that you know you had working with a lot of extras. Uh, that is always uh, tricky to uh, get people to come out. So, how how receptive were the people of of Harrison to uh, to being in your horror movie? <laughs> uh, very receptive. They were actually having a blast. Um, there were a couple nights nights where they were disappointed that it ended. So that's always a good sign. <laughs> And um, I think our producers did a really good job. Um, we, we obviously couldn't have that many extras every day. So we had to really plan when did we need them and just make sure they knew ahead of time. Because if you give them time, they're there. But um, 
but yeah, it was just a lot of planning and um, the people were really nice and very receptive. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about, um, I guess, some of those economic realities. I mean, you don't have to use hard numbers if you want, but, you know, how big of a budget were we talking about and how many days shooting? Like, give us the give us kind of some of the details about that. Well, our budget was about like 50 grand and uh, okay. it was uh, three weeks of shooting, six days a week. And uh, what I did here, basically, um, uh, I work with a lot of people that I've worked with before. Uh, we all kind of graduated, some of us, mm-hmm. uh, from a Toronto film school way back in 2012. So um, long story short, I've done a lot of favors over time and I kind of <laughs> cashed them all in. I, I made a, a documentary for a guy for free using his camera and... Um, for this movie, he gave me his camera for free. So um, there was a lot of thread I had to pull. But um, yeah, just a lot of it doing favors and then cashing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that is sort of the, the common um, cachet in the filmmaking business is uh, favors. Uh, money, <laughs> money is good. Favors are better. Um, <laughs> so you have uh, managed to get the last piece of the puzzle for anyone who makes a film, which is distribution. Uh, I guess initially, I mean, you you want the film to be seen, but um, you know, how, what were your expectations when you started making it? Was it like, this is going to be a really great calling card for me. It doesn't matter how many people see it. Or is it like, this is going to be, this is going to blow up shutter or <laughs> wherever it's released you know what was what was kind of your expectations for the film um it wasn't too high but um it was what you said is like a calling card but um i still wanted to make money because i feel like the best calling card in the movie is when they make money mm. so i i wanted to mm. make just um a reasonable amount of money something that would be calling card worthy but um yeah so it's kind of i kind of want a combination of both but um I never, I never thought it was going to blow up Shutter or Netflix, but um, <laughs> you never know. We gave it our all, and people might like it. So no, you never I don't know. know. <laughs> I mean, fair, horror fans, um, in my experience, tend to be very receptive and tend <laughs> to be very, um, like, very supportive of. Uh, you know, it's not, it's never, it's never so much about the quality or the 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 artistic composition that it, you know, it. You put in a good effort, you put on a good show, and, and the horror fans will usually respond. Yeah, I feel like as long as they feel that fear, um, you, you've done your job. So I, I hope they like it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So how did, um, how did Terror Films come into the equation? Um, we just uh, did a bunch of research, and um, it's also about doing a bunch of research and seeing uh, who, who's more receptive to movies in our level, and um, yeah, and I, we heard kind of good stuff about them, so we approached them, and uh, they liked the movie, and yeah. So, what are your hopes then? Um, I guess what are your hopes once the, the the film sort of debuts next month, and you know maybe sort of where it might take your career next? Um, and are you nervous uh, about like are you going to be counting the the streams as as they come in, um, and, and you know seeing what the audience reaction is? Uh, I actually don't know. We'll see. Um, <laughs> actually, uh, uh, it's my first time that my movie is getting out there. So I actually don't know how I'm going to react. Um, <laughs> today I read somebody's Twitter and they were kind of happy that the movie's coming out. 
and that kind of made me happy. So maybe yeah. I would be doing what you said. I'll be like checking everything. But <laughs> let's see. I'm not. I'm not sure. Okay, either way. So you live in Halifax now, which is uh, obviously on the East Coast. Um, and I understand you've kind of gotten into stunt work now. Is that is that correct? Ah, uh, yes. Um, I used to do just independent action with uh, filmmaker friends, and uh, I had a few opportunities, and I took advantage. So yeah, I'm in the stunts now, and also in the, just an actor. And uh, okay, well, uh, what is it about stunts in particular? Are you are you are you particularly uh, maybe? Maybe athletics is the wrong word, but you know, is is this um, is this like an area of, of that's always been of interest to you? Oh yeah, and I'm very athletic. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I used to be in Kanfun back in the Uzbekistan, and um, oh yeah, I used that to make action films, and um, I, I just never thought that I could be one. So, but after years, when I got there's an opportunity online, they're looking for some people. Um, I just kind of gave them my demo reel, not thinking much, and um, I got a call from the coordinator and. Uh, yeah, from then on, I just became a member in like two months because oh, I got wow. three jobs right away. It worked out really well. But um, yeah, I had another smaller role in the um, Jason Eisner's movie, Kids vs. Alien. He, he uh -huh. directed a hobo with a shotgun. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm the guy who gets killed at the beginning, but I have lines, so that's not bad. I, that's that, not bad. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I love it. It's just a lot of fun, stunt work. Strangely, it sounds like it's easier to get into stunt work than it is to get into directing or getting getting uh, getting films made as a as a director. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, um, directing is basically like you, you kind of want to be the boss. That's what it is, mm. and it's not easy to be the boss when stunt man is. Um, if you have the skills, the yeah. So yeah, directing is I think is harder than any position on set. I I would say mm -hmm. to get mm -hmm. it to get that job. <laughs> yeah so i mean does that mean you're kind of uh giving up on directing or is that just on the back burner because you're actually making a go of it as a as a stuntman these days oh no i mean uh directing would always be my main thing but uh stunt work is the same as camera and editing i, I do it because um it helps with directing it, it brings money but um directing would always be my passion everything else is just uh, an extension of that if that makes sense Mm -hmm. yeah because i do a lot of weddings too i like I shoot and edit them so <laughs> yeah i have my uh, hands in a couple different what weddings is the other side of the filmmaking business uh till you can uh make a living at it mm -hmm. um <laughs> so i mean it sounds like you've got your you know your film life pretty together so i guess you know what comes next for you you know this comes out in uh, God Forsaken comes out in April. Let's say it finds an audience and uh, they're really excited about it. And they're like, what's what's next for this Ali Akbar Akbar Kamal director? You know, where can we get the next hit? You know, what what what, what are you looking at in terms of what comes next in your career? Um, well, and, um, it's either some big Pofi, some big company approaches me and they hire me to direct something <laughs> or in a perfect world. Um, <laughs> I am writing a found footage martial arts film. Oh, nice. Uh, it's something that uh, one might think it cannot be done, but uh, I have an idea and I think it's going to work. And I don't want to say anything too early, but... Uh, sure, sure. <laughs> that's the one I, I, I would... If it was up to me, that's the one I would make next, is the found footage martial arts. But uh, yeah. 
I'm really excited about seeing that. And I don't, and I just literally heard about it, but I think that'd be interesting. Um, you made Godforsaken pre-COVID. I have that right. It was in 2019. Mm-hmm, on November. Uh, so you've been on movie sets since the start of COVID. Um, can you talk a bit maybe about how it's changed? Like the, the experience of shooting because of uh, pandemic precautions? Oh, yeah. Um, let me give you like the last job I did for Sinners as an example. Um, okay. So um, my job was on, Janu- on, Ju- on June 1st, and uh, they had me doing a COVID test for three, uh, three times a week okay. for the last like three or four weeks. And they paid me a lot of money for each time I did it. So yeah, it changed it like that. Uh, people, uh, we had to wear trackers on us. We had to have masks at all times. People, um, we kept uh, being told to stay away from each other. So um, yeah, just all that. Just uh, trackers, like so they could locate you. Oh, uh, not exactly. Oh, okay. It's, um, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have said trackers, but we got <laughs> a thing on us, like a whatever a necklace, and um, right. Let's say you get sick. Yeah. And they, they look at the thing and they, uh, the tra- let's say tracker and they figure out who you were close to the next. Ah, the last and that's gotcha. how they track the COVID. But they, they made a point of it to let us know that it doesn't track our location. Okay. So yeah. it tells you who you're in proximity with. So that if I had COVID and I was standing next to you for four hours, they could say, yes. Ali, Adam had COVID. So maybe you should take precautions. Exactly. Yeah. Some high tech stuff. <laughs> That is no, no, that is fascinating because I mean, so much about movie sets, right? And you know, this is like kind of hanging out and uh, shooting the breeze. It's hurry up and wait all the time. So I, I, I just, I was thinking about that today as I was getting ready to talk to you that, you know, that culture is must have definitely changed in the last two years. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just, um, but it's still hurry up and wait at all <laughs> times, but it's just a lot of precautions. Just get taste tested a lot. And um yeah, and I'm pretty sure it upped the budget by a lot because they paid mm. me a lot of money just to get tested. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, those are the ones I I noticed the most. Well, maybe in our last minute or so here, um, I mean, those who can't uh, can't do watch movies and criticize them on the radio, um, but you know, for people who may be listening, maybe thinking about you know setting themselves up in a their own film projects, you know, you, you have made it this far and so many people don't even make it this far. So, uh, you know, what's your advice to uh, aspiring filmmakers out there? How can they follow in your footsteps as it were? Um, my footsteps. Um, <laughs> honestly, the one advice I would give from, um, from my position right now, and uh, a lot of filmmakers I see making this mistake is it's not about what you want on screen. Mm. It's about when you, what you can Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people, uh, I see them sabotage themselves by what they want. And it's like, but you can't have it. it. It's not possible. So you should really start thinking about what you can have. And it's, it's surprising because you like, once you start doing that, you, you come up with better stuff in most cases, because you're forced to think outside the box. But um, that's the one thing I stand behind the one advice. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, Maybe you can take a minute here and plug the movie, uh, tell people where they can find it, where they can find you. And, uh, you know, if uh, they're looking for if you're looking for that feedback, if you're looking for those fans, how can how can they find you on the Internet? Um, I'm on Instagram and on Facebook, just like the simple stuff. Um, I mean, the basic <laughs> stuff. Um, 
yeah, just a, a, my name. If you put it on Instagram or Facebook, you can find me and you can message me if you want. But yeah. And Godforsaken is going to be available on all VOD platforms. I don't have it in front of me, but it's April the 8th. Yes, April the 8th. Yeah. April the 8th. So wherever and you get. People like it and uh, you'll see what happens. We will see what happens indeed. But yeah, uh, April the 8th, wherever you get your movies. Ali Akbar, Akbar Kamal, uh, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate the talk. Yeah, no problem. I hope uh, <laughs> I hope I was good. <laughs> Okay, so that was Ali Akbar Akbar Kamal, and you will get a chance to see God Forsaken for yourself. There is, I think it is a premiere and a filmmaker Q&A. It is going to be on the Terra Films YouTube channel this coming Friday. Terra Films is the company that is releasing the movie. Uh, so it's, it's really easy to find. Uh, just search YouTube for Terra Films and you will find it. And then if you want to just uh, watch the movie itself, it comes out on a VOD platform near you on April the 8th. So the, the title of the film, again, is God Forsaken. And uh, I don't know. It looks, looks like it might be a lot of fun. Peter, anything you want to add? Uh, well, I haven't uh, listened to the interview yet, but uh, I am very excited. I mean, uh, typed in the name and uh, he has a IMBD and uh, he also has an upcoming one, um, uh, Once Upon a Time in Afghanistan. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm very uh, excited to see uh, where he goes and uh, his film. I'll check it out for sure. Yeah, it's uh, that is a film he actually made on the ground in Afghanistan before he made God Forsaken, which goes to show you because in the film business, uh, you can finish a movie and then it uh, it takes a, maybe a little couple of years to uh, to find its place um, out there in the grand movie distribution world. So uh, we will leave that there and move on to our review of the week, which is Windfall on Netflix. And we're going to talk all about that after the break. You are listening to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Wealth Campus, and Community Radio. Why did they change the law? Why did I have to break it? I only came in a talk. This is where we used to live. Downstairs, how in September this year I turned up your TV and stomped on the floor just for fun. I know we don't live here anymore. this place is. Babe! This guy breaks into my house. Holy! And you just sit down on the couch. Okay, but how about you, you let go of my wife first? And I've had to hold his hand. How does this open? Is there a trick to the purse? No! There's a clasp. 
and help him rob us. I want $150,000. You think that's enough? Yeah, I think you're probably gonna want more than that. I can get you the money tomorrow. But what? Me. I owe you something, right? You owe a debt to a hell of a lot more people than just me. And that was a clip from Windfall. It is the new film from Charlie McDowell, and it stars Jason Siegel, Lily Collins, and Jesse Plemons. It's a three-hander, um, if you speak the, the movie lingo. Uh, very much a COVID movie. <laughs> We're going to shoot in one place with three people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't even process that. Yeah, that might have been a reason. But uh, maybe this Peter, film as a whole wouldn't exist without the COVID. It's possible, and we'll discuss whether that's a good thing or not. But Peter, <laughs> you you drew this one out of the hat, so um, why don't you tell us about uh, why you wanted to check out Windfall? So um, I'm going to admit the main reason is of the three main characters and director. Only Jason Siegel is the most famous member of his family. I just, I just thought that was really interesting. Charlie McDowell, he's got three parents more famous than him, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we've got obviously Lily Collins, Bill Collins, and then we got uh, Jesse Plemons and you know Mary Jane. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, yeah, that was I'd say ninety nine percent of the reason. It's, it's, it's just really interesting, and I like Jason Siegel, so it made me view him in an even more. Uh, uh, positive way he, he seemed even more his acting seemed better just because of that mindset that he's the most famous in his family yeah. <laughs> yeah. i also um i i don't check out thrillers too much so it's always good if i see one with a, a pitch of interest that mm-hmm. uh, I, ch- I check it out absolutely and i do love jason siegel mm-hmm. uh this is nepotism the movie for sure um <laughs> Although, you know, Jesse Blemons being married to Kirsten Dunst is a little thin, but we'll allow it. Um, <laughs> yeah, the Jason Siegel part of this is interesting because he's most you know, mostly known as a comedy guy. And uh, yeah, he had, I mean, he sorry, go ahead. Oh, well, just even though he is, there's been a couple others in the recent years where he's been more a dramedy. I forget its name, but he had the one really... Um, marvelous miniseries that uh was more of a, a drama mm-hmm. but yeah i know what you're saying he's still we're used to him as, as a comedy guy absolutely mm-hmm. and i mean he's he's been busy um but he he hasn't really done stuff to like kind of stand out uh like he hasn't taken any of those meaty leading man roles to coin no, a phrase it's, it's it's really weird too because if you look at his filmography 2014 mm-hmm. sex tape right it mm-hmm. made near 200 million mm-hmm. and then right after that it's a bunch of no-name films so i i don't know if it, it must have been a choice i guess or like mm-hmm. he had some sort of i don't know maybe like for some reason 2015 he just didn't look as attractive i, I don't know <laughs> but i just i find it very strange i honestly think he might have just stopped because he was already doing so well and he just wanted to focus on indie work or you know works of art that he can identify with yeah i mean he had a very busy yeah i don't know if that was the the best decision but uh i mean he was like on how i met your mother while at the same time like writing and producing like the muppets and uh sex tape as you said and there's another one in there that he did i can't 
remember. Maybe it's the five year engagement. So, I mean, he was he wasn't just like acting up a storm and like, you know, <laughs> using his breaks and and filming a sitcom to, you know, just take up a different roles. Like he was mm-hmm. actively involved in development and pitching and writing. And so, you know, it could be, it could be just a place of case of burnout where he's like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to do the, the Tom Cruise thing and do one yeah. movie a year. <laughs> well, uh, any sitcom, if it goes over like six seasons, it's going to be a huge part of your life. It's going to be a huge hassle, especially like you said, when you're a writer, I know uh-huh. he also, he worked really hard to leave. Right. But uh, he wasn't able to. So that itself shows you there's a lot of stress. Um, and yeah, the, that's uh, right. Like he 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 was like in half the episodes in the last season of How I yeah. Met Your Mother because like yeah. he just was fed up and didn't want to do it any, or whatever whatever the reason was. Yeah, I, uh, I think it's just a classic sitcom thing for one of the mains to leave in the last season. I think it makes you look cool. I guess I, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> it makes it makes you realize. It makes you look like you're the person who realizes this has gone on too long and it yeah should have, it should have ended a year sooner yeah like charlotte ray from facts of life did that and then more recently um american Ferrera from superstore i honestly i think it's just right it makes you look cool i don't know <laughs> but yeah um and dispatch from elsewhere is the amc show he was recently on and he directed it and created it and it, uh, it was yes. not a comedy but it was really good so okay i actually wasn't um too surprised that this was more of a drama for him so if you're a jason siegel fan i don't think it will be too different but for most people all around obviously yeah you're you're used to him in comedy Mm -hmm. if you remember him clean shaven um (laughs) but to to get into this movie uh i i admit i did not know anything about the movie going in and i didn't know it existed a a few days before i watched it (laughs) yeah same um but it's you know i love the beginning where it feels like the beginning of a hitchcock movie it's got that really great film noir score and i want to highlight the composers uh danny absolutely danny bensey and sonder urins um the score is the best part of this and the movie uh unfortunately <laughs> cannot keep up with the score but no the score the score is the, the best part by far and i yeah. actually read a couple of the um um the, the hollywood reporter it's like a positive review towards it but like mm-hmm. solely because of the music it's just the music's so good mm-hmm. that it makes up for yeah the flaws mm-hmm. but i mean it, so it opens with that uh and i love the cinematography too and the cinematographer is isaiah dante lee um whose name now that i said it out loud seems familiar to me Um, yeah it was uh, it could have been um really kind of pretentious cinematography with that really good job you know it could have been an excessive amount of of the rule of third and that sort of thing but i thought it was just great shots a diverse amount of a beautiful location i think i think whoever picked the the location and, and planned that out too did a great job yeah the location is great i i do like the cinematography uh i mean it really captures that kind of like white out sort of bleached out um sort of midsummer and i know it's like this is a california but you do notice that in sort of like midsummer here in ontario when it gets like the sun gets high in the sky and it's really hot and everything sort of has this like white shine to it Uh, so that was i i found that really um 
I, I, I did enjoy the cinematography. Yeah, it's really good decisions too. Um, the part where uh, Jesse Plemons and uh, Lily Collins' character both mm. immediately have to run away in the cornfield <laughs> and they split the opposite direction. That's and that great. shot is just, yeah, it's a really great one. Yeah, there are a lot of really great shots. Um, like the first, I think the first act of the movie is like, it's really good. It's a really good setup. Um, I think where it falls apart is in the subsequent chapters and the, and the part or the subsequent acts when you're kind of like getting into the meat of the story. I I don't know because there's one, two, three, four credited writers on this, um, <laughs> including uh, the director and the star. Um, so I'm not sure to whom falls on the sword, but yeah, I, I like the, I like the confidence of the camera work. Like I like these long shots where he comes back after he try after he thinks he's going to escape. And then he notices security camera and he goes back and he sees that they've escaped the sauna where he's put Jesse Plemons and Lily Collins in. Yeah. And, and then he sees them across. And it's, I, I think it's his point of view where he sees them across the yard and he's like, Hey, and then they take off down to the, the orange grove. And then that it's, it's almost a similar shot a couple of minutes later where he's basically corners them again. They take off in opposite directions and he eventually catches up to the Plemons character. And then he calls for Collins to come out. And again, it's another long shot where she just kind of saunters out, looks at the camera, which again, I assume is a mm-hmm. seagull point of view. And you don't see what she's thinking. Like, cause it's so far away. You don't see her face. And so you don't know, like, is she thinking like, oh crap, I almost got away. I guess I have to come back for, I mean, cause it also plays into a bit later on uh, some of the decisions she makes near the end of the film. But what? I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's just a great little bit of, it's a great, it's a great touch of filming. You could really feel the Hitchcockiness of this. And then they go back Absolutely. to the house and I think it all goes wrong after that. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I'd say it falls apart. I'd say the ending, it's a little too cliche. Um, it's a lot cliche, but go on. It's, it's very cliche. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I The one thing I did like about the second half is it's when you fully see the real Jesse Plemons. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like the little uh, back and forth when he's uh, tied up on the chair, but mm. I agree that it falls apart. It becomes just more of a kind of plain thriller. And it's when you realize too, you're not going to learn much else about Jason Siegel, which is <gasps> that's okay, a big, di- that's a big disappointment. Yeah. It's good to know like a faint amount of a character like him, but it's, you know, I wanted to know, like, like a pain. I wanted to know something, you know? Um, I mean, I just pinch more to add some love to him, right. You're supposed to support him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and along with that too, even though I like when a film chooses to not have titles for the characters, I thought it was a little, for this one, a little, a little pretentious. We could have, I don't know why we didn't have the CEO's name or anything like that, but, uh, yeah, I, I hate that. I, I've, I've really come to, it's, it's like, it's fake artistry. It's like, Ooh, we're making an artista work. So none of the characters have names. Yeah. You know? And it doesn't like correlate well with, with, with the plot, you know, if it's someone zany, like Lynch or whatever, it, it makes more sense, but it just, this was just more of a common thriller and, and the name thing. Yeah. Just, just a little pretentious. A well, little I mean, but it, but it becomes an impediment to the story and it, you know, I was, 
of course I was thinking about Tennant, how like John David yes. Washington plays the protagonist. And it's so weird how he's like saying, you know, he's working with Robert Pattinson. So he's always saying Neil, Neil, Neil. And then Neil never says his name, which just feels it just feels bizarre. So in mm-hmm. this in Windfall, you get scenes where Jesse Plemons is calling out for Lily Collins. And so we don't know her name. She's simply credited as wife. So you know, he's, <laughs> he's going, babe, babe. And it's just like, oh, my can like that's annoying at the best of times, but but you know to have Jesse Plemons like with his face up planted on the floor, <laughs> tied up, going babe, babe. It's like, can we just give these people names? Like I don't, I don't need to see their resumes. I don't need to see their family trees. But let's give Lily Collins a name. How about yeah, this, exactly. Mary? That seems pretty prosaic. <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh, we didn't need to know his company or anything like that of course but his i name, disagree i disagree really the, the type of uh billionaire you you think that would have aided a bit well i mean we get we can like he designed an algorithm that helps like companies find efficiencies or something like that but the whole thing comes back to seagull like what is his beef exactly oh well we don't. was he downsized was uh like is he now like is he like one of these unskilled laborers? Like he just can't get work anywhere else. Um, you know, like then what is it? Yeah. What is exactly his beef? We get no, and it, it's, it's not like the script doesn't make room for him to <laughs> fill those gaps. Cause there's at least two scenes where Jesse Plemons is like, okay, so what did I do to you? And he, and Jason Siegel just never answers. Um, and I mean, and that makes the rest of it kind of hollow. And it, I mean, it's, it's kind of hollow to begin with. Like there's that scene where he goes on a tirade about like, you know, it's not so easy to be a rich white guy. And it's, yeah. Well, <laughs> and you're supposed to support him more than Jesse Plemons, but you need a little bit more information if you want that to be a true, uh, oh, I'm on his side sort of thing. I, yeah, uh, it's it just, it's because we get, we, we fully understand Jesse Plemons is an a-hole. He's a <laughs> he's still he's, great at portraying one too. I gotta give it to him. Yeah, he's he he brings it. Um, but there's this shade of gray to the Jason Siegel character because it's is it about money? Well, yeah, he's like stealing money from the house at the beginning, but it it, it, it does also seem like he's very much there to like. What does it like? What is it like to live like a rich guy? And and he's kind of doing this this kind of like modeling behavior, like this kind of, you know, Oh, I wonder wh- what, it, what it is like. And then, you know, he's surprised yeah, like when 90, they arrive. Yeah. Uh, he was kind of like repping the like 99% sort of, sort of thing. And, and like the kind of wall street, very yeah. aggressive against it sort of thing. But, and, um, but, we but, don't then, know why. but then there's a thing at the end where he tells Plemons a secret about his wife. And he didn't have to do that. Like he could have like, slapped him across the face a couple of times because he's like secured to a chair like but the inherent cruelty of it where he tells Clemens the secret that tells Clemens her secret um again you know so what is Siegel's beef (laughs) that and and the film and again the film gives him an opportunity to fill in those details but I think the problem is I think the core problem is and you address this at the beginning Charlie McDowell son of Malcolm McDowell and Mary Steenburgen Ted Danson uh yeah Ted Danson's his stepfather um but he he has never been downsized in his life. He has never had to worry about being downsized in his life. He has probably never talked to someone who's been downsized. He has probably, though, spent a lot of time 
with the Jesse Plemons CEOs of the world. So yeah, that's I, true. That's true. I think that's the fundamental dramatic gap in this. Mel- uh, I almost called him Malcolm McDowell, which he might consider a compliment, but Charlie McDowell uh, has spent more time with the Jesse Plemons's CEO, the CEOs of the world than he has with the, the Jason Siegel downsized nobody guys. So there, therein is the, the problem. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Also, I just want to say, I do love Malcolm McDowell as an actor. Uh, mm. Apparently, Ted Danson was even more of the dad. So I just want to say his name maybe should have been presented first. <laughs> what, what are you, you going to do? Stand well, forward, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, biology trumps all. Uh, but <laughs> but anyways, yeah, I just want to say I didn't actually think about my uh, think about that myself where he's rich. Right. So how mm. and he. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think maybe his directing of Jason Siegel's character might have uh, not have enough of a, his heart into it or enough uh, knowledge to portray it properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't even I didn't really think about that. It's too bad, too, because I never watched it, but it got great reviews. And I love mark duplass right mm. his first one the one i love apparently it's yeah. great but this one eh, and his previous one i didn't watch it but apparently it's just that's another part of this because i did see the one i love and yeah, he's also kind of a jerk he uh he's always <laughs> um he's always making jokes about how mary steenberg is not his real mom and like i love her so mm. yeah i'll admit it it was hard to block that for this film and i i'm only bringing it up because i don't know if I'm probably not the only one in that case, right? <laughs> but no, it, it, like the one I love is a is actually a very good film. Um, it, it it has some like really thriller quality, and it it is playing with a lot of these Hitchcock ideas about identity and about trust. Um, but I feel like Windfall. He he, I haven't seen the Discovery either, but I I I, I know this it's is better. A little, a little better. So mm, okay, fair enough. But I, I feel like if the if he is if Charlie McDowell is thinking about the discovery as a failure, it would make sense for him to go back to the fertile ground of the one I love and think, okay, couple in distress, uh, isolated location. What can I do now? <laughs> and I feel like that's how you reverse engineer windfall. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey, the uh, the length was okay, huh? I'm pretty good. Listen, if I will you, watch you, I will watch anything for 90 minutes. If it's 90 yeah, minutes, we're golden. Yeah. Yeah. And that's <laughs> that's what it is. So um yeah, a, I think also yeah. just because of the actors and okay, well, Jason Siegel, that TV show mm-hmm. he was recently on, I mentioned mm-hmm. outstanding. So I was expecting a bit more um a bit more flair from this, a bit more excitement, a bit more originality. But it really is just a, a basic thriller with some great cinematography music and actors mm. but the writing for the actors and their characters yeah but jason siegel clemens and i'd say collins are, are outstanding also uh, the gardener my favorite character yes the gardener. i i yeah. do love the gardener i do love i, I love the obliviousness yeah um <laughs> just sort of like here's this third weirdo who's here um but yeah it, it's like talk about the real victim like the real <laughs> yeah yeah oh well his his scene where he becomes like you said victim i don't want to spoil it but it's so well done that it's 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 the only thing that was like a true shock something that i think made it 
a pinch of an enjoyable thriller. Yes, you're, you're getting at something I'm under the mention, which is like the complete and utter lack of menace until that moment, because um, it feels like <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, that um, Denzel Washington movie, John Q, where he plays like the, the father who's trying to get his son medical treatment. So he takes a hospital hostage. Um, it, it feels like we're kind of playing with those notes, but there's never any actual menace in the hospital. And it, again, it's weird because we learn nothing about Siegel because he seems to be a perfectly competent criminal, even if he's not terribly experienced. Yeah. But, like the way he kind of controls the situation, it, it leads me to think like, this is not his first hostage situation. <laughs> <laughs> but, but again we never get into those details no um, he just kind of the closest he mentions to his daily life is that it's different every day that mm-hmm. he has that kind of mindset but that doesn't that doesn't really that doesn't explain anything mm-hmm. but yeah the, the film itself is kind of lacking some menace in that um just like th- there is an incident with the gardener that kind of automatically turns things. It's like a shocking act of violence. And that's kind of the first violence, the first real violence there is in the film. I mean, one could argue being held at gunpoint is violent, but in terms of like blood, it's the first time you see blood. And then maybe, oh no, not only time, but yeah, yeah. But then the script kind of pivots from there. And I think it's just. <sighs> there's 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 kind of no real tension it kind of feels like at the beginning charlie mcdowell's like i'm making a hitchcock movie and then at some point he decides no i'm making ted De- i'm making a remake <laughs> of ted demi's the ref from 1994 and then at some <laughs> point he decides no wait this is hitchcock i'm my bad my bad it's hitchcock i'm making a hitchcock movie and <laughs> <laughs> And then, yeah, and, and then it continues on from there, which, uh, I mean, that's that's fine. That's your movie. But, um, you know, you kind of have to, you kind of have to, again, something like Pulp Fiction, and we're kind of throwing in references all over the place, but the scene where <laughs> Phil Lamar gets shot in the back of the car in Pulp Fiction, it's shocking. It's gory. But we've come to expect shocking and goring things from Pulp Fiction at that point in the film. <laughs> yeah so, whereas this one was definitely more of a a shock a quick surprise which i think is okay but i mean there's nothing built into it to say like yeah somebody might like die horribly at some point in this story like we we get to the beginning of pulp fiction and they like fill two guys ron, ron livingston i think was one of them if i remember correctly <laughs> they filled them with bullets and then there's this kind of lull um, where we, we, we don't see any violence and we kind of get used to this pattern and then there's more violence and it just you kind of have to yeah you have to kind of tweak the audience expectation you know this is a crime movie there will be violence you can't just drop violence on people and go oh my god maybe that's more of a that's, that is more of a horror yeah a horror tactic yeah, no, I I understand what you're. What I mean, you're Paras- parasites. Another I think one, some though. people. Yeah. I think some people might like that it's a quick kind of shock like that. But I see what you mean that it doesn't uh, correlate well with thrillers. Like I mean, fiction. if if it was like, well, let's just say it, the gardener runs into the glass door and like stabs himself in the jaw with a shard, where he's mm-hmm. like literally hanging from the broken glass in the door by a shard in the jaw. Uh, 
the gruesomeness. Like if it if the gardener had like run away and Jason Siegel shot him in the back and we kind of like just see him fall, that would be one thing. But to go for like the most grisly, inhuman possible death for this poor gardener who was just going about his job. <laughs> and to like humanize him too. And he's like walking around the garden. He's like, yeah, I built these flower beds myself and I put this plant here and it re- I'm going to do this to the garden. It's like, wow, this is a remarkable act of cruelty to this poor gardener. It was like, it was like Eli Roth did like a quick edit and just shoved <laughs> yeah. that in there. Because his horrors are like that. It's more gore than it is a sh- surprise or like a slow burn to the shock, right? Mm. It's just something really, really gross with a lot of blood. Mm-hmm. So that's my that's my view. I think McDowell got him to uh, do some ghostwriting for it. You know, Eli Roth did do that movie with Keanu Reeves, Knock exactly. Knock, with uh, the two babes who uh, <laughs> stop by in the middle of a rainy night and seduce Keanu Reeves and then torture him for three days. Um yeah, so I, I think we're I think we're really deconstructing the thought process of Windfall here. Uh, but that's maybe I, some I, of the only fun we could find. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, there's lots of not talent. Bad. Yeah, there's lots of talent here. I mean, Charlie McDowell is not an untalented filmmaker, and Andrew Kevin Walker, um, he's most well known for writing seven but he's also fairly well known for writing castle which is like a a romantic show right yeah it's like a romantic comedy as a procedural police drama and i mean it it has its moments um so you know when you have siegel plemons and and collins on screen too like lily collins i don't know if if you've been watching that tommy and pam miniseries no, I don't know. I haven't seen her in much. Because I've watched a couple of episodes and she's a fairly convincing Pamela Anderson, even though you see her in this and it's like, how does that woman become Pamela Anderson for a miniseries? Oh, she's in the... Are you talking about the Seth Rogen one? Yes. Yeah, okay. That's cool. I didn't know she was in it. I might check it out then. Yeah, no, yeah. she was okay in this. I think the issue is there wasn't enough writing for her. Yeah, no, I... I I'm, when I, when the, it comes to her kind of change of mindset, it wasn't done in a, a proper way. It wasn't... Um, a good kind of flow into it. It was just pretty right. The, like the, like the killer, like the killer. The point I'm trying to get at is like, the, these are not untalented people. Um, and I, I think there is something, there's something interesting that could have been made here, but I think that there are some big gaps in, in what they, between what they ended up doing and maybe what they wanted to do yeah um the, the talent is on screen for sure and i love you know plemons take on like the <laughs> like the coked up tech uh ceo belligerent kind of elon musk attitude complete with mm-hmm. you know don johnson's wardrobe from miami vice but <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely <laughs> but i just it, it's um I think there are too many. I think maybe there are too many cooks in the kitchen for this one. Yeah, it isn't a great film, but weirdly, I will probably check out McDowell's next or whichever kind of drama Jason Siegel's in. Because, like you said, there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of hope in it of their talents, but it just wasn't presented in, in a very good way. A lot of a lot of too much emptiness. Yeah, and and the one I love is definitely worth checking out because it does everything that this movie wants to do but better and it has elizabeth moss in it so yeah and this one was better than his previous so hopefully he's more of those directories like it's like a wave you know and his next one's kind of a high tide (laughs) we'll see (laughs) we will see indeed 
All right. That's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. And if you want to listen to it again, you can find it on our website at endcreditsradioshow.com. You can also download the show from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday at Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. When you're on Spotify, you can find much of the music that you hear on End Credits. Just open up Spotify and search for End Credits on CFRU. You can find us on social media, on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show, and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And Peter, where can people search you out on the internet? As per usual, Mr. Tarak on YouTube and Twitter. Perfecto. And I will be back on CFRU Thursday at 5 p.m. for News and Politics with my co-host there, Scotty Hertz. That's Open Source as Guelph. I don't think I mentioned the name, which I probably should because we're <laughs> promoting the show. Anyway, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And of course, stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. And we shall see you next Wednesday for another edition of The End Credits. And we will see you then. Thank you.